Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Pleased to have as my guest today on Song of the Soul, Annie Patterson. Annie and her husband, Peter Blood, have produced Rise Up Singing, a phenomenal collection of 1,200 songs for group singing, which has now sold over 1 million copies. Annie plays a number of different instruments, has produced a couple of her own recordings, and she performed for 20 years with a swing jazz group called The Girls from Mars. Raised Methodist, in her teens she felt a call to silence and came to Quakerism as an adult. She joins us today via the phone from Amherst, Massachusetts. Annie, I'm delighted to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Thanks. Actually here, meaning that you're out in Massachusetts where you now live after having lived in Pennsylvania for a long time. You were living in Pennsylvania in a pretty heavily Quaker area, I think. Yeah, uh, Certainly relative to my standards over here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can go almost every two, three, four miles and find a Quaker meeting house in the area where I was living, which is unheard of in the rest of the country. Really. What's it like up by Amherst? Quaker-wise, there's a couple very thriving meetings up here. There's Northampton Meeting and Mount Toby Meeting, and there's several smaller worship groups that get together. It's a comfortably friendly place. Well, let's start talking about your connection with music, Annie. 
I've known you and Peter for a couple decades, uh, or something like that. <laughs> I guess that means <laughs> that we're... Has it been that long? Oh my it, God. Yeah, well, <laughs> I remember I was still living down in Milwaukee, and we got a call from you or Peter wondering if we could help with contributing some money towards the printing of the first Rise Up singing. You were trying to get a large printing of it for that first time, and so I certainly had known you from at least the mid-80s. Yeah. Uh, Actually, when did you folks start doing Winds of the People, the predecessor to Rise Up Singing? Uh, Well, Winds of the People was sort of the brainchild of Peter, Peter Blood. He kind of formulated that book based on his experience as a camp counselor at the farm and wilderness camps in uh, New England. And that, I'm not sure the exact date, but it was basically an underground kind of illegal songbook that started out as a let's just publish a few of these in um, the basement of you know movement for a new society type basement printer and this was pre-computers so i mean you can imagine and then it, it kind of took off and kind of like hotcakes people just really found it useful and wanted them so that was in probably in the late 70s and then i met peter in 1981 and we started to talk and formulated a hatched a plan to take wins of the people and make it completely legal and went through various journeys and finally came out with Rise Up Singing around the mid-1980s, 1988. About how many copies of Rise Up Singing are out there in the world, do we know? We know that we've sold over a million, and they keep selling. I mean, you know, people keep buying them. It's been an amazing adventure. Nothing in our wildest dreams imagined this explosion of groups all over the country and around the world using it to sing. It's been great. And that's not to mention your teaching CDs that go along with Rise Up Singing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was something we put together, you know, a very kind of limited technology in in the very beginning. We we put together cassettes, and the idea was we'd go from song to song in the order they're in the book and just sing enough of the song to teach it and fade out and go to the next one in the order. Now we sell them on discs, on CDs. It ended up being, you know, a great, useful tool for a lot of people. And you sing some of those. Does Peter sing any of them? No, no. That was my, uh, kind of, I was the producer in my little, my child, I guess, was putting those together. I sang on most of them, but I had wonderful, wonderful performers like John McCutcheon and Susan Stark, who's a Quaker performer, come, and most of them gave their services to record these songs, so it's great. If people want to get a hold of these things, Rise Up Singing or the teaching CDs, how do they do that? Well, the best way for us is for them to go to our website, which is quakersong.org, and just order them online from us. We sell our songbook and the teaching CDs, but we also sell various other folk artists on our website. Also, we have some writings on there. You know, my husband has done a lot of different writings on different religious themes, and you can kind of get to know us a little bit. I happen to have sung in a jazz swing band for 20 years, and so a little bit of information and some stuff like that's on our website, too. Well, let's start with your music, because I want to explore your spiritual journey, too. And that's what we're doing here on Song of the Soul. We're asking what you know, have experienced, and are experiencing on your spiritual journey. So let's start with the first one, which is Rock of Ages, and it's a version that you're doing, and it's from your CD, Meet Me by the Moonlight. So why is Rock of Ages in here? 
Rock of Ages is not the song that most people know of, the traditional Jewish song. This is a version of a song from the Appalachian gospel tradition. And the reason it's on the CD is it's basically about dying. It's about the journey that this older woman is going through. As she's dying, she's calling her children to come to her bedside. And she's telling them that she's just seen the Rock of Ages and she's going to cross over. This is an experience that I'm very close to my heart because as I was making the CD, my mother was dying. It was an incredibly spiritual and moving and difficult and painful and wonderful time. And the song, as it comes out, as I sing it and I listen back to it, it sounds almost harsh to me, the quality of my voice. I usually don't sing it quite like that, but I think the voice on this particular recording, to me, just has a tense quality to it, and it's because I was just really emotional when I sang it. What were you raised religiously? I was raised a Methodist, but I had a very unusual background because my mother's uncle married Edgar Casey's secretary, who took all of the notes during all of Edgar Casey's psychic journeys. He was a famous psychic healer. Some people might be familiar with him. And he started a whole movement called the Association for Research and Enlightenment. And we spent summers down in Virginia Beach with my mother going to visit my Aunt Gladys and my Uncle Al. So my mother also believed in reincarnation and had a, a... No one called it New Age back then, but I definitely had a good dose of that in my upbringing. So what kind of beliefs do you have about the end of life and afterlife, or is reincarnation part of your outlook? It was for a long time, and I think now I'm kind of a little more open to finding out when I get there. I've felt deep connections with loved ones who've passed on. I'm not sure always what that connection means, but I definitely believe that our spirits live on in some form. Well, let's listen to the song. The song is Rock of Ages, not the one that most people know, but another version, and it's performed here by our guest for Song of the Soul today, Annie Patterson. Well, I was standing by the bedside where my feeble mother lay, and she called me close beside her. And I heard her softly say, I've just seen the rock of ages, Jacob's ladder hanging down. And I've just crossed the river of Jordan, now my son I'm homeward bound. As we gathered all around her And the tears did fill our eyes And she called us close beside her Softly whispered her goodbyes I've just seen the rock of ages Jacob's ladder hanging down And I've just crossed the river of Jordan Now my 
sun, I'm homeward bound. Well, I've just seen the rock of ages, Jacob's ladder hanging down. And I've just crossed the river of Jordan. Now, my son, I'm homeward bound. So, Annie, when did you switch from being Methodist to being something else? <laughs> I think probably when I was a little girl and I didn't know that I'd switched because <laughs> I didn't really know a whole lot about what other religions were out there. I grew up in a Methodist church on the main line outside of Philadelphia, and it was a fairly small, humble kind of church. It was a block away, so we used to walk to services on Sundays. We had a typical kind of Christian Sunday afternoon, you know, with a stew or a pot roast or something, and then we'd sing around the piano after dinner sometime. And church was a place where there was always a lot of singing, and I enjoyed that, but Really, what I remembered as my most favorite part of my upbringing was the two minutes of silence that they would always put in the program <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> so, you know, we'd sing a hymn, you know, stand up, sing a hymn, sit down, sing another hymn, and then we'd have different kinds of a children's, you know, sermon or another sermon. Then there'd always be this, like, little moment in time where everybody had to be quiet. <laughs> You liked that as a I really girl. liked it. I liked it a lot and didn't know anything about Quaker silent worship or meditation or anything as a kid. But the other thing that I loved was that my mom would give me lifesavers in church to help me kind of be patient, and she would doodle on the program. And as I grew older, you know, we'd doodle to each other, and often her doodles had to do with whatever the sermon was. I also found that I really enjoyed choral singing, and I sang in the church choir when I was a teenager. So at what age, then, did you actually start not going to the Methodist church and going somewhere else? Did I assume maybe you had a fallow period in there? Well, I pretty much stayed faithful to my family's religion through high school, although there the journey was sort of starting for me to discover myself, and I found myself journeying inward and had a lot of deep spiritual moments as a high schooler walking home from school. I started just talking straight to Jesus myself, you know. Somewhere, I think, at that point I'd already known about Edgar Casey and meditation, and then I had these older siblings that were getting to be more involved with other religions. So I had an older brother who, two older brothers, but my oldest brother started going to a Quaker youth group, and I didn't actually even know about that. Somehow that just didn't cross my radar. He was 10 years older than me, and I, I did not realize he was doing that. But we ended up camping with a Quaker family, and they became real important to me. And this Quaker family, the parents became like mentors to me. So I started learning about Quakerism through my older siblings and through this particular family. I think that's where I started to really wonder what I wanted. And then when I was in college, I started attending the Quaker meeting in Pittsburgh. It was a tough time in my life because my dad was dying. I wanted to just start going and seeing what it was like. I'd already gone to a couple meetings at Haverford meeting in the main line with my sister. She'd already become a Quaker at that point. 
Wow, it sounds like a whole family conversion. Well, three out of four of us kids all became friends. Yeah, my other brother is a member of the Unification Church. He's a Mooney. So we all went off, took different paths. But my mom was always very comfortable with Quakerism, and it just fit. Well, let's go to your next song, which is Christmas Lullaby. How does Christmas Lullaby fit in your spiritual past and present? I don't even know how to talk about this because it's so very personal and it's sometimes hard to explain it to people in the right way. But I consider myself pretty Christian, and yet I'm also a seeker and I follow lots of different teachers. It just so happens that Jesus has been a real strong teacher in my life, and that has been through direct prayers and through some of his teachings from what's been written down in the Bible also through talking to other folks who have had similar experiences. And I think what Quakerism says is that you can have a direct connection with God, that God is part of us and that we have this way of connection which goes straight to the Spirit. And I always felt that way about Jesus. So for whatever reason, I've kept that through my adult life. So this song is is very dear to me, partly because Doc Watson is one of my all-time favorite performers. He has a sweetness and a gentleness and a clear, sort of deep love that comes through when he performs. And when you add that together with a song that's about the birth of this baby, which symbolizes to me, basically symbolizes love, it just becomes very sweet. I think here we're going to listen to your version of Christmas Lullaby, even though it's from a Doc Watson song earlier. Let's listen here to Christmas Lullaby, and it's being done by our guest, Annie Patterson. Hush, my babe, lie still in slumber. Holy angels, guard thy bed. Heavenly blessings without number. Stealing on thy head How much better art thou tended Than the Son of God could be When from heaven he descended And became a child like thee Soft and And hard the Savior lay when his birthplace was a stable and his soft his bed was Steve. 
do you and Peter celebrate Christmas in your home, Annie? Well, we have, over the years, tried to combine traditions a little bit, as I think most married or partnered people try to do, try to honor each other's traditions. Peter and I are both very clear about our connection with Jesus. We both feel a deep connection there, so it's a very special holiday for us. I tend to celebrate lots of different holidays from various cultures and religions because even though I am a Quaker and there's a history of not doing a lot of ceremonial kinds of things in Quakerism, I really love all kinds of ways of celebration. I love having fun and I love celebrating joy. So what we do is we have a tree and we do a lot of traditional things like stockings. We love to go out on Christmas Eve and have a meeting for worship with a group of people and uh, sit in silence. In my family growing up, we had a history of having to wait until we all, all the kids had eaten breakfast before we could even look at the Christmas tree. My dad would, like, hide it behind a sheet. As soon as we'd all eaten breakfast and everybody was awake, then we could go and look at our presents. But it's it's a very special time for me. Let's go on to your next song, which I was kind of assuming had some connection with your whole experience having children. It's Fear Bata, Safe from Harm. That was my theory, so what <laughs> you tell me why it's really here. Well, it's really here because my niece, who is now in eighth grade, lives in Bethesda outside of Washington, D.C. A couple years back, there was a series of murders the sniper that did random killings outside the D.C. area, and there was a time then during that all those killings were happening that my sister was really worried about her daughter because, you know, all the children were terrified. This sniper was killing people at the gas station that my sister used to go to, near the stores that my sister frequented, the schools. I mean, this was right in their neighborhood. And I got to thinking about the children not being able to sleep, and especially my niece, who had to basically sleep with, you know, in my sister's bedroom for a long time until she felt like she could sleep in her own room again. This kind of violence is so difficult to understand. It's so difficult to be around, um, to take in. If anyone has ever witnessed violence or been prone to violence or been abused, Sometimes there's a shock that happens where you just almost don't believe it's happening. So I wanted to come up with a song and started writing one, but I couldn't come up with a melody. And then I heard Gordon Bach, Ann Muir, and Ed Trickett singing this song, Firabata, which is a lullaby love song from the Gaelic tradition. The melody just moved me so much, and I ended up fitting it with my words. And I kept the Gaelic words, which actually go with the original traditional lullaby, as a way to kind of come back to a a lullaby, back and forth between this dialogue I'm having with my niece and then back to the lullaby, which is so comforting. The end product was hopefully a very comforting song for children all around the world. Well, let's listen to the version of the song done by Annie Patterson, words uh, safe from harm that she added to the traditional Gaelic melody, Fierabata. Fierabata na horo eila Fierabata na horo eila 
Uh, how does this fit for you? I've taken Cruel War. I've thought of it as kind of an anti-war song, but it's really about, you it's know, not. okay, you're going off to war, and yeah. so I'm going to join you. Yeah, it's not an anti-war song. It's, it's funny. It's not. I think that the reason this song really has always touched me is because I love songs that are about the pain of life. Go figure, you know. I think we all need to have joy in our lives, but there's something about acknowledging pain, that it's there, that it happens, that it's real. And what I love about this song is, even though it's not an anti-war song, the woman's saying, take me with you, you almost can feel her heart getting ripped out of her as she's saying this because she can't go. And it's really a love song. And it's also a song about how horrible war is. Basically, to me, she's saying, I love you so much that I want to go with you into this horrible, horrible place. And it's almost like she's saying, I can't even consider you going away to war without me being with you. And I think even though this is a love song, I think a lot of mothers feel that way when their sons have to go to war. And it's it's a tragedy. So, yeah, I guess I interpret it as being very emotional and very real. It touches me every time I sing it. Let's listen to you sing it. This is The Cruel War, Annie Patterson again. The cruel war is raging Johnny has to fight I want to be with him From morning to night I want to be with him It grieves my heart so Won't you let me go with you? No, my love, no I'll go Captain, get down upon my knees, ten thousand gold guineas I'd give for your release, ten thousand gold guineas, it grieves my heart so, won't you let me go with you, no Sunday, Monday is the day that your captain calls for you, and you must obey, your captain calls for you, it grieves my heart so
it's not completely impossible that you would not be anti-war, but I'm kind of assuming you have the typical Quaker beliefs about peace and how we need to live them. Do you know if Peter was a CO, or did he have to face that during the Vietnam War? Yeah, yeah. Peter actually was kind of famous because he had a case where he had a trial. And actually my brother, who was a similar age to Peter, my oldest brother, actually knew who Peter was because amongst Quakers, his case was fairly well known during the Vietnam War. Peter did not want to go to war, and actually, I'm definitely anti-war. I mean, I don't believe in it. I think Jesus doesn't want anybody to kill anyone, and I think another big teacher of mine who is Thich Nhat Hanh, Buddhist monk, also teaches us to try and resolve our anger in peaceful ways. But with Peter, he had a very serious trial where he wanted to make a statement, and rather than trying to not get drafted because of he actually had a disability that made it so that in the end he didn't get drafted, but he wanted to make a statement, and he had his entire Quaker community back him up, and actually they stayed in the meeting house when the government came looking for him. When you have him on your show, you should definitely ask him about it. (laughs) (laughs) You bet. You bet a good story. Well, let's go to your next song. Why'd you include Bolero? Well, this is from an album called Songs of the Overn, and it's Joseph Candelube, uh, who is a composer from the late 1800s. These are songs that have to do with a place in France where there's beautiful meadows, it's gorgeous. This particular song, I don't really know what the translation is, but I do know that the music itself just evokes so much heart, passion. Whenever I listen to it, it takes me back to myself, takes me back to the best, most wonderful place of myself that I can go to. And we tend to listen to this as a family around Christmas time because when Christmas Someone bought it, I did, or Peter. We bought it for each other, and we put it on. And every year around Christmas, we bring this song out. You don't need to know what it's about. The music just touches a different place inside. That's why I wanted to put it on the program. So this is Bellero, and it's performed here by Frederico von Stade.
your next song that you selected for your song of the soul is Bright Morning Stars. Why this? What's this got to do with you? This song represents a time in my life that was very important to me spiritually, and that's when I worked as a cook at a camp down in Virginia. It's near the North Carolina. It's the ARE camp. The Edgar Casey Foundation has a camp down in Virginia. I found it to be a very meaningful time in my life because not only did I learn about community and living with wonderful other folks, but we studied our dreams every morning. We had prayer and meditation every morning. We cooked with healthy foods. And the other thing that was so great about my time there was that everybody sings all the time. And this was just one of the songs that I learned when I was at the ARE camp. Let's listen to it. Bright Morning Stars, and Annie is the one who's performing it. Bright morning stars are rising. Bright morning stars are rising. Bright morning stars are rising. Day is a breaking in my soul. Oh, where are our dear fathers? Oh, where are our dear fathers? Oh, where are our dear fathers? Day is a breaking in my soul. They are down in the valley praying. They are down in the valley praying. They are down in the valley praying. Day is a breaking in my soul. Oh, His work is phenomenal. I mean, his work speaks volumes. 
And this song is called Minwi. It's just a very moving song for me. I don't even know what else to say about it except that I've known about this song for a long time and it's, it just moves me, so that's why I included it. It's about community. It's about dancing and being in community and midnight's come and it's, it's gathered together and it's almost about the solstice, I think. So are you and Peter the kind of folks to stay up at midnight and be dancing around at that time? <laughs> we've been known to do that. I'm the night owl in this family, but yeah, we've been known to do that. At the Friends General Conference gathering where you and he led singing for many years and still do sometimes, didn't that singing break up right around midnight? <laughs> yeah, I have great memories of just singing long into the evening, and, and that is what the song is about. It's about singing and just that kind of vigor and beautiful sounds that can be made when you just keep singing a song after song and finding your harmony. Let's listen to it. It's Minuit and it's done here by Paul Winter.
Danny, I'm kind of stunned. I think I only know of one CD that you've put out. I guess there's the teaching CDs for Rise Up Singing. But is it really only one CD you've put out? (laughs) I have a little tape that I made called Deep Roots. And I performed with a swing band for many years called Girls from Mars. And I've got some CDs with them. That's jazz. But yeah, I mean, this is something I put off doing for a long time finally decided this is getting silly. I really have to do this. So uh, now I'm thinking about doing another one. I'll be looking forward to it. Thanks. Let's go on to the next song, Creation of Ea. What's Ea? Well, this is a poem. Basically, it's words by Ursula Le Guin from her book called A Wizard of Earth Sea. My friend Benjamin Newman wrote this round just to the words from this book. The words just really sort of almost stunned me because they spoke to me. It's about finding yourself in the silence, really, and it's about, it's just very simply put, words that speak volumes of truth, and that's why I've included it. And you're the one who's singing in round with yourself, right, on this one? yeah. This song for Annie Patterson's Song of the Soul is called The Creation of Ea and she performs it here with herself. Only in silence the word, only in dark the light, only in dying life, bright the hawk's flight on the empty sky. Only in silence the word, only in dying in silence the light only in only in dying light bright the hawk's flight only in silence the bright the hawk's flight in silence the only in dying in silence the singing songbook has just this incredible wealth of not only regular rounds but sacred rounds and chants as well. Do you have a specific area of the book you gravitate towards? Yeah, I mean, there are certain places I tend to go to. I tend to sing songs out of the gospel chapter a lot. Part of that is because, you know, my mom passed away, but she, for a whole year of her life, was unable to speak or walk or talk and was on a feeding tube and I spent a good part of that year singing to her and I sang a lot of the old favorite hymns that she loves to her they really comfort me so I tend to go there and I guess there's a lot of different I bounce around a lot I love the sea songs but 
the main kind of song that I really love right now are the old ballads that have been collected by people like John Jacob Niles from the Appalachian Mountains. There's a few of them in Rise of Singing. Well, the last song that you chose is by Pete Seeger. How old is Pete now? Let's see, 86, 87. I don't know. Upper 80 somewhere, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You and Peter know him personally? Where does he hang out? I don't know where he even lives. He lives on the Hudson in New York State. He's very active. He's working right now on sifting through and trying to update his biography, Where Have All the Flowers Gone, was edited by my husband, Peter. They're trying to revise it right now, and he's got some folks helping him. And, yeah, I mean, his voice is not what it used to be. He's a little more tired and doesn't travel as much, but he's still very active. He's just told me on the phone a couple weeks ago that he's organizing a um, kind of a singing group for children in his hometown to try and draw people down to a part of town that they don't normally go to. And he's intentionally booking this singing in a building that's in an area of the town that he wants to see people pay attention to. And he's just doing stuff like that all the time. He's a marvel. Pete Seeger is a a huge role model for a lot of people, and he's definitely a role model for Peter and me. For me personally, I have a lot of different places that I take spiritual teachings from. Thomas Merton and Thich Nhat Hanh I mentioned earlier. There's just so many places in the world where you can find hope if you look for it. And I think what Pete Seeger is constantly trying to remind people is look for it outside your front door. Don't worry about trying to find it some faraway place. He's always telling us to try and communicate and network with our neighbors. So anyways, this song is about something that I feel I'm doing too. It's a recent recording that is off of the Where Have All the Flowers Gone collection. Uh, we actually sell this on our website. It's called The Songs of Pete Seeger. And a lot of different artists sing on this collection. It's not Pete Seeger mostly. It's people like Jackson Brown and Bonnie Raid and Annie DeFranco and Indigo Girls. But he's singing this particular number, and it just it's simple and it's moving, and he's singing it from his heart. He's still searching for a better world, and... Uh, I am too. Let's listen to Pete sing about it. This is And I Am Still Searching, and it's Pete Seeger who's recently recorded this. Still searching for a way we all can learn To build a world 
where we all can share the work, the fun, the food, the space, the joy, the pain, and no one ever, ever need or want to seek to be a millionaire. Song of the Soul interview with Annie Patterson, co-editor of the world-renowned group singing songbook called Rise Up Singing. You can hear this interview again via my website, northernspiritradio.org, and on that site you can find a list of the music included in this program and other helpful links. Song of the Soul is produced by Mark Helpsmeet. If you'd like to share your Song of the Soul with the listeners of WHYS-FM Radio, please contact me via my email address, helpsmeet at usa.net. That's H-E-L-P-S-M-E-E-T at usa.net. And please join me Sundays at 11 a.m. for Song of the Soul. You can be Sing out a song of the soul.